Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-vibing friends. I'm so excited you're here and sharing your time today on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I am psyched to introduce you to our um, guest today. I think um, you know what we're going to talk about today is extremely needed and extremely important. So, um, Allison P- Pena or Pena? Pena. Uh, Pena. Okay. <laughs> Allison Fenna um, is a um, New York City-based grief resilience coach, aka Bad Widow. Uh, she supports clients to tap into their innate resilience and take back their lives after loss with stories, insights, and strategies. After losing her husband to pancreatic cancer in 2016, Allison designed new ways to re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild back to life, work, and even love. Her recently published bestseller, The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again is available to support anyone grieving and those who care but don't know what to say or do to help them thrive again. So welcome, Allison. Thank you so much. Of course. So I'm going to kind of just ask you to start um, you know, with telling us a little bit about your story and kind of how you got to being the bad widow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, my, husband, my husband and I, we were together for 25 years. And in that amount of time, you kind of grow around each other like vines mm-hmm. almost. And um, on October 12th, 2015, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Mm. And cancer itself, you know, is kind of a heart drops to the bottom of your feet. Yeah. Um, heartbreak moment, just hearing that. Absolutely. And, and pancreatic cancer is worse. So pancreatic cancer is one of the more vicious, faster ones. Um, and so we started to figure out how to live with this. And the doctors told us to, told him to slow down, mm-hmm. do less, reduce his life, make his life smaller. And this is what happens when people experience a loss, when they're grieving a loss. They they contract their lives because there's just less energy mm-hmm. for what they usually would do. Um, and so they said, slow down, stop. Essentially, what they're saying, though they never actually say this, is prepare to die. Yeah. If you don't have a will, get your will done. If you don't have this, get that done. You know, start mm-hmm. talking about those things that will be after one of you is gone. Mm-hmm. And so we did that. You know, we did the will, we did the beginning to talk about the after, but we also decided that not living until he died didn't make any sense to us. Mm-hmm not doing the things that 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 um drained us did make sense yeah so there were a lot of you know logistical things and obligatory things and whatever 
And I began to create an environment for us and specifically for him where we would be doing more of the things he loved, Mm. but for a lesser amount of time. So he was an artist, a painter, and the painting behind me is one of his paintings, Mm. actually. Beautiful. Yeah. And um, so I encouraged him to go out and paint. But to go out and paint for two hours or four hours instead of all day. Mm -hmm. Because as he got sicker, his energy did wane, Mm -hmm. you know, and yet he loved that so much. Mm. He also loved to play tennis. As he got weaker, his balance went off. Mm -hmm. From time to time, he would go full length on the tennis court. But there was a way in which realizing that the end was coming faster Mm -hmm. made him less serious about how he looked. Mm -hmm. And so he loved playing tennis. So he'd pick himself up and start playing again, as opposed to beating himself up and saying things like I'm so clumsy or whatever, which, you know, we're human beings. We tend to be hard on ourselves. Absolutely. (laughs) And the, one, of the, one of the gifts of something like this, a diagnosis like this, is you realize that you really don't have time for that. Mm. So if you're going to live, live, mm-hmm. you know, and live without regrets. And, and so we started carving out those things that didn't make sense to us, that didn't feed us, mm-hmm. amping up the self-care. Um, for him, he loved to work, and I loved to lean into community. Um, one of the things that I had given up to a large degree after we got married, just because he didn't love it as much, mm-hmm. is going to open mics and singing. Mm. I realized that I was not going to survive this experience whole if I didn't sing and move the emotions through my body. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually a a tip for your audience. The emotions will get stuck if you don't actively move them through your body. Absolutely. But it's different for different people. So for me, it's singing. I had wanted to, I had sung in choirs, gospel choirs for decades, Mm. but I wanted to sing songs on a stage, just myself on a cabaret stage. So in the course of the time when he was dying, I joined a group and did two shows, four stages. Now, the thing to remember is I've been wanting to do this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. It took my husband having an actual end date that we could see for me to gather the courage to do it. Mm -hmm. There's great power in like knowing to your bones that we live in finite bodies Mm -hmm. that will end. Yeah. You know, in in the last week I saw the oldest woman in the world was 112 and she just died. The oldest man was 115 and he just died. Mm -hmm. Some are long lived, some are short lived, but we do end. Mm -hmm. If we can use that as a catalyst for joy, 
then it's powerful. Yeah. You know, if we really know, <laughs> people say, well, what would you do if tomorrow was the last day of your life? Mm -hmm. And what we found when one tomorrow coming soon was going to be the last day of his life, mm -hmm. we were able to live much more fearlessly. Yeah. Because not doing what we were born to do was not acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, it just was not okay that we put it off until someday. Mm -hmm. Until we were, uh, had it much more together, until we looked better, until we had lost weight, until we had... Like we've all got a million reasons mm -hmm. not to do what brings us joy. Yeah. And knowing he was going to die and seeing him go from six foot three, 263 pounds to 146 pounds Oof. is a wake up call. Yeah. Wow. And our marriage had become a lot about logistics. Okay, go to work, come home, who's taking out the trash, who's getting the groceries. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that the love kind of gets submerged mm -hmm. underneath the stuff. And in the course of those 11 months, it rose up again. Mm. And with grief, one of the really, really common things that happens is that what matters rises up. Mm -hmm. The values, the activities, the relationships, they rise up as more important. Mm -hmm. And the ones which are toxic, frankly, they rise up to, to be seen. Mm. Right. And then there's a choice. This, I think, is what what they're calling the great resignation, people quitting their jobs, mm -hmm. I believe has a whole lot to do with grief. No, I agree. Absolutely. Grief from losses, loss of people, loss of jobs, loss of businesses, loss of connection to others, being mm -hmm. able to see each other, touch each other. You know, all the things that are going on in our country. Mm -hmm. Um. Those are all grief experiences. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is that, like all grief experiences, what matters is rising to the surface. And what's toxic is also rising to the surface. And then we get to choose. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's really powerful because, you know, I think we all look at grief as kind of that loss of a loved one. That's kind of the immediate response, but we don't look at it in how many other ways it shows up in our life. So I think like you pointed out, it's really powerful. It shows up in loss of animals. It shows up in loss of jobs. It shows up in, you know, loss of, you know, freedom or flexibility or whatever it is. It's really hard to, you know, we kind of just push that under the rug because we don't look at it of, oh, I have, that's grief. I have to process that as grief in my body, or I have to give myself that space to, you know, be in that energy and move through it. Um, so I really appreciate that you pointed that out. Yeah. And, and the way that we talk about grief is like, it's something to be feared, but if mm -hmm. you think about it, everybody has experienced grief. Mm -hmm. Everybody. I mean, including the child 
whose friend starts distancing themselves from. Yeah. That's grief. Mm -hmm. Right. But we don't talk about it. We're not told how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And um, so about 11 months after we heard that my husband had pancreatic cancer on um, September 10th of 2016, he died in my arms at home. Mm. And I was a widow. I was suddenly a widow. And I had been with this man for 25 years. So our identities were carved around each other. Mm -hmm. And there was more of a we than an I, but suddenly I was an I again. Mm -hmm. There are immediately after someone dies, specifically, there are really practical things which happen, which nobody tells you how to deal with. So mm -hmm. they're overwhelming emotions. This is what people know about. Mm -hmm. um, fear, grief, anger, shame. Mm. Those are typically the four things that rise. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, you, you go through um, each one by itself. No. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> That's not true. It's just not true. Like sometimes they all hit you at once. Right. And the thing is that they're, they're unpredictable and they are overwhelming. And people don't know how to deal with you when you're going through them. Mm -hmm. And very often what happens is that they'll say or do really stupid things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people do not know how to deal with it. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think about the stages of grief, just going back to that. I think too, that this has gotten this idea for our society of, oh, you're doing it wrong. You're processing your grief wrong because you're not going through, you know, the anger, the, um, you know, disbelief, the, like, all, like you said, the shame you're, cause you bounce. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is like you said, these are not, you know, finite stages of, oh, okay, I move through this one and then I reach acceptance and then I do this. You bounce because we're humans and that stuff comes up like an onion. I mean, it's a cliche, but very much like you're peeling these layers because like you pointed out, you were a we. And even though you were still an I, you do. I mean, when you're with somebody, when you're with a partner or when you have that career or when you have that friendship, you integrate into that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, my identity is shifting. I have to change. And that's yes. scary. It's very scary. And, and one of the things that the singing was about for me was remembering that I wasn't just a caregiver. I wouldn't just be a widow. Mm -hmm. The last time I sang on a stage before my husband died was the Tuesday before the Saturday he died in my arms. Wow. And he was on oxygen. He was mm -hmm. at home. He was taken care of. He shoved me out the door. The song that I chose, there were two songs that I chose that were particularly significant. Mm -hmm. One was uh, I Will Survive mm. by Tina Turner. Um, and literally, my husband died four days later. Mm. Four days later. Um, but I had to remind myself that I would. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, and the morning that he died, I heard on my uh, phone the theme song from Ghost. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, today's the day, isn't it? I just knew. Mm. And he was talking to me moments before he died. And I said, you know, in a body, you need breath and love. And when you leave a body, all you need is love. Mm. So stay as long as you want. Leave when you want. And when you're ready, go out on the love. And he literally, very shortly after that, took four breaths and did. And a very wise friend told me I was about to, you know, rush into action, call his mother, call my mother, call the funeral parlor, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And my friend said, you can take all the time you need. Mm. And I think this is something that we do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Things happen and we leap into the action instead of allowing the, um, the heart piece to happen, mm -hmm. the, the integration to happen first. Um, so then suddenly I was a widow. I was, you know, overwhelmed by feelings. There mm -hmm. were days when I couldn't get out of bed and days when I had lots of energy. So my energy was really variable. Mm -hmm. I had memory gaps, which were terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, I remember asking my mother seven times in a row when she was going to come to see me and forgetting the second after she said it. And this showed up in everything. It showed up in work. It showed up in appointments, all of these things. So mm -hmm. I had to develop kind of nets to catch these breakdowns. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that happened was I couldn't focus on anything. So I was, I was uh, a coach who couldn't deal with people. Mm. I was an editor and proofreader with the attention span of a fruit fly and no memory. Mm. So there was nothing that I was qualified to be paid for that I could do after my husband died. And he left me his studio. So he was a, a, a lifelong artist, professional mm -hmm. artist. He had been in this studio or in a building or in a studio in the same building for over 30 years. Mm. So 30 years of art it was very prolific. If we went away for 10 days, we'd come back with 30 to 40 paintings. Wow. Yep. And so he painted more than he had sold. Mm -hmm. And I was left with a, a studio to, to break down and close up. I live in New York City, so rents are, are not low. So mm -hmm. one income for the apartment plus a studio to pay for. And letting go of stuff is hard. Mm -hmm. Letting go of stuff, even when you're not grieving, is hard. You know, letting go of, of things, letting go of <clears throat> pounds, letting go of everything mm -hmm. is difficult. Um, and smell is one of the most visceral senses. Mm -hmm. So my husband used to cut his paintings with the, the paint when he was painting oils with clove oil. Mm. So I walked into his studio pretty much every day and burst into tears. Mm -hmm. 
every day. And I had to choose. He never threw anything out. So there were masses of unfinished pieces in the Mm. studio. And because it was two incomes to one income, I needed to bring everything home. I have 546 paintings at home. Wow. Yep. And I had to let go of the unfinished ones before I left the studio because there were more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started going, okay, I'm not finding resources for all of this stuff that I'm going through. Mm-hmm. The people around me don't know how to deal with me. Mm-hmm. And because nobody talks about it, they don't know any better way. They're doing mm-hmm. the best they can. Right. You know? Um. So I started correcting things. You know, people say things that they think is is good. How mm-hmm. are you? Mm. And I would think to myself, angrily, frankly, mm-hmm. how do you think I am? Exactly. I just lost the man I love for 25 years. Mm-hmm. The future that I dreamed of with him is dust. I don't know if I'm going to be a cat lady. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine ever loving someone like that again. Um, I couldn't work easily. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, there's lots of resources for, there are grief counseling resources. Mm-hmm. How do you get through the emotions? There are decluttering resources. And there are, how do you handle the finances resources? Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots of that out there. And absolutely needed. Mm-hmm. But there's very little to tell you, how do you take back your life? Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you make it through whole? Mm-hmm. What happens very often is people either go all the way down into the emotions mm-hmm. and stay there because honestly, they don't necessarily know how to come back. Absolutely. Or try to float over it. Mm -hmm. I will put it off until my kids are out of the house. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pour everything into my kids. What happens if you do that? And it is a strategy. I mean, it is something that you can do. You can put it off. Mm -hmm. But volcanoes are ugly when they erupt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And basically what you're doing is you're covering over all that stuff until a later moment. Now you can put it off for a brief time. If you're at work and you're about to burst into tears, you can have a plan to just postpone it or excuse yourself, Mm -hmm. but it has to be dealt with fairly quickly. Right. What happens if someone, for example, puts it off for 15 years until the kids are out of the house Mm. is that In 15 years, when they're ready to take back their lives, nobody's listening. Yep. And nobody understands that they're now coming out of this contraction Mm -hmm. that they created to survive. And there's no pathway there. Right. 
So the book I wrote, The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live in Love Again, was about how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Because there were no clear guidelines. Right. I began actually correcting what people said. So if they said, how are you? And I thought, I can't answer that. I have no answer here. But I could answer, how are you today? Mm -hmm. How are you this week? I could answer something with a more narrow time parameter. Mm. And all the people who support people who are grieving, who wrote to me said, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was actually jamming the person I loved up by asking the question the way I was asking it. Yep. And so I started correcting some of the misconceptions. Mm-hmm. I didn't say, oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not so good today. I actually said how I was and what would be more helpful. Yeah. And in deconstructing my own experience, I created ways that people could move through this, these experiences their own way mm-hmm. because it's a super individual journey. Absolutely. But with a, a, a plan, a mm-hmm. path that works. So the first thing is when your life blows up, how do you come back to yourself? Mm-hmm. And the way you come back to yourself is that you seat yourself solidly in whatever your zone of genius is. Mm, I love that. And you start, yeah, you just start operating from there because that is going to be the way you are most comfortable mm-hmm. and the way you're most yourself. And there are three areas that people fall in as their zone of genius. One is doing impeccable work. Mm-hmm. People will sometimes say, don't go back to work too quickly after a loss. Yep. If you're a person who thrives at work, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to feel more yourself come back faster if you work. Right. For some people, it's one-on-one relationships. Mm-hmm. That's typically one to three people, lots of Mm self-care, and just allowing that. And for the last type of person, it's uh, community, Mm. participating and contributing to community. So mine is the third one, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I did things like I reached reached out to my community when I needed self-care, but I knew that when I was exhausted, I had no energy to think anything up. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know that you guys are superstars at Mm self-care. Give me all your tips. And I got a hundred self-care practices from my friends. What that meant was when I was exhausted, I knew I needed self-care, but I was too exhausted to think of anything. Mm -hmm. I could just go to this list. So one of the questions to ask yourself if you're grieving is what kind of nets do you need to build for yourself? Mm -hmm. That's, um, I, 
I absolutely love that because I, um, one of my freebies that I often give a lot of my clients is actually a list of self-care and self-love activities. And the reasoning behind it is because, you know, whether you're in grief, whether you're struggling with rumination, whether you're depressed, you're an addiction, you're craving, like whatever it is, our brain has a really hard time breaking that pattern and tangibly being able to come up with something. So if you have this list where you can just go, okay, I'm going to look at the list and I'm going to go take a walk or I'm going to plan a vacation or whatever it is, but it's tangible things that you can do. You're able to allow yourself to break that ruminating thought pattern. You're able to allow yourself to move into the next opportunity instead of pushing yourself to try to come up with something when you're already depleted. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, because that the, there will be times when you have energy, when you can think mm-hmm. these things up. Right. Um, and there will be times when you don't. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, you know, come back to yourself. What's your zone of genius? How do you sit in there and start doing what fills you up? Mm-hmm. Because it's the truest who you are. Yeah. Now, the reason that's really key is that we define ourselves so much by roles. Mm -hmm. Am I a good employee, a good business person? Am I a good wife, sister, parent? Mm -hmm. And so if if those roles disappear, then who are you? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So this allows you to get solid ground under you from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Super critical right now. Mm -hmm. The second thing I do with clients is I show them how to Mm re-engage. We contract, do less activities, see less people when we're hurt, Mm -hmm. when we're grieving. And so how do you grow your world again? There is a myth that you'll bounce back. Mm. Yeah. This is a very American myth. And there's a myth that you'll bounce back on your own. So suddenly, like a jack in the box, there you are again, just as you were before. Mm-hmm. The problem is you're no longer that person. Right. So bouncing back is a lie. hmm There is a a real regret in that, but there's also a real peace to that. Mm. Because if you know you can't bounce back, then you don't have to keep struggling back there. Yeah, that's powerful. It really is. Yeah. Um, But it requires actual action, actual Mm -hmm. taking back life. And so it's, What is there today that will give me a slightly bigger life? Can I make a phone call? Can I take a walk? Mm. Can I write something? Can I sing? And it's important to realize because we want to go back to who we were, but we're not that person. Mm -hmm. Heartbreak feels like broken. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it does. It's not, but it sure feels that way. Mm -hmm. That shattered, that baby steps are are steps. There were days when 
putting my feet on the floor and getting out of bed was huge. Mm -hmm. Huge. I would lie in bed until I had a reason to be alive one more day. There were days that were that bad. Mm -hmm. And then there were other days where I was writing a lot. I was sharing a lot into my community. And I was saying what was actually going on, Mm -hmm. you know, how I would wake up in the morning and the memories would be all scattered, not in order. And I would pick them up and put them together. And I wasn't sure if it was the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there there were times I was very creative. There was times I was very productive. There were times when I just lay in bed and got up to use the restroom. Anything that you can do is forward progress. Mm -hmm. And so really to honor that, when I started wanting to make my life bigger, I wanted first to get back to work. There, There are two ways to do this. You can do lowest hanging fruit or highest hanging fruit. So you can do something that's really hard or something that's really easy. I couldn't be around people for any length of time. So I had a widow friend who had a Halloween pop-up store. And she said that I could come and I could work. Our initial agreement was, I think, two days a week for four hours. Mm -hmm. I could hang hangers on a rack. I could do that. Mm-hmm. And I needed to start feeling like a like a capable person, like someone who could interact with other people. And those were no longer things I was sure about. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in the midst of grieving, it feels like you are alone in the ocean. Yeah. And there's nobody going through what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So I needed to push out on my own comfort. And there were days when it was the hardest thing in the world to go to that job. Mm -hmm. And I would come home after four hours and collapse and cry. Yeah. But it was a baby step. Mm -hmm. I was doing something. I was getting paid for the something that I was doing. And it was huge. Mm -hmm. And so there are little things that you can do. And for each person, it might be different. It might be in work. It might be in connection. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Grief is an individual experience that actually should be a community experience. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the, the dangers of really happen in that isolation. They really do. That's when you start to, you know, like you said, you're not the same person that you were before. So you're not processing things the same way. You're not having the same thought patterns. Like you said, you're not even like functioning and trusting yourself in the same way. Like you just said, I didn't even know that I could, I wasn't even sure that I could interact with people anymore. I mean, there's so much, you know, with my, with my background being kind of in the mental health and addiction back frame, you know, one of the things that is really prevalent and kind of one of the main ideas that we talk about in mental health counseling is 
the only reason that people struggle is because that there's a loss of some sort of their identity. And grief is one of the ways that you're talking about where you are losing a massive piece of your identity, which is why it's so intense and we experience it so intensely. And why, like you're saying, doing those things where you're celebrating a daily win of putting your feet on the ground instead of in your bed is a massive shift, even though it may not feel like it in that moment, or somebody else may not see that. Again, like you said, this is a, it should be something that's a community experience because then you're having people that are showing up saying, no, you got out of bed this morning. Like that's amazing. You know, we're talking about how to, how do people understand how to support somebody that's going through grief because we don't, it makes us uncomfortable. I mean, that's the reality of it is when somebody loses something, you don't know how to respond and it makes people uncomfortable. And so we just react like you've been talking about. So I I, um, just wanted to point that out of, like you're saying that that power and celebrating those daily wins, however small or large they are, is like you're saying, so incredibly vital. Um, I just wanted to highlight that point because I think that there's unbelievable power in that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that people who haven't been through these experiences don't mm-hmm. realize how long they last. Yeah. How long they last. Yeah, you know, there's it, no timeline for grief. No timeline for grief. It mm-hmm. morphs, it mm-hmm. changes, but people grieve for decades. I had someone mm-hmm. write me who has been grieving one loss for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And yet everyone piles on for a month. Mm-hmm. Very common experience. Everyone leaves. Everyone's already moved on after a year. Mm -hmm. But a year is when you wake up to the real loss. First year is pretty numb. Lots of emotions, pretty numb. Second year is rage, Mm -hmm. or at least it was for me. And, And really realizing he's never coming home. Yeah. Second year, a very common experience is of being abandoned by family and friends mm-hmm. because you've been, you've had a year. Mm-hmm. It's time. Come on, snap, snap, keep going. And so one of the things that I recommend to people who, who love people who are grieving is to, if there's a, a community who supports that person, set up a schedule so that there's a call in to them. Mm. periodically across at least two years. Yeah. What it does is it keeps you tethered to the world Mm -hmm. at a time when there is this real feeling of being adrift. Mm -hmm. So the next thing that I do with my clients is I show them how to discover who they are, reinvent themselves. And frankly, that's just a lot of, testing stuff. Mm -hmm. I was with the same man 25 years. There were my things, his things, and our things. Mm -hmm. And our things was most of it. So I had to just try the things that we had done together and figure out if they were my things Mm -hmm. or his. And let go of the things that were his. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't care about those things. I'm a really bad tennis player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love to sing. Mm-hmm. So I sing every week mm-hmm. at an open mic. Pretty nice. Um, 
and so it, it was try this, try that, do this, do that, do things you've never tried before. Because what you're discovering is who are you now? Mm-hmm. Very often what people try to do is they try to get back on the track they were on. Mm-hmm. But if you're a different person, that track no longer fits. Right. So it's really important to figure out who you are and what track you're meant to be on. Mm-hmm. It may be that you love your work, but you love a different aspect of your work. Mm-hmm. And you need to start carving a path in that direction. There's a lot of discontent that happens mm-hmm. in this moment because it's a real shakeup of what matters. Mm-hmm. So reinvent is try stuff, figure things out. What do you like? What do you not, not like? I, I do this thing sometimes when my nephews and nieces were small. We would go by windows. I live in New York City, lots of windows. Mm-hmm. And play this game, you know, looking at clothing or looking at stuff. What do you like? What do you not like? And why? Mm. And so reinvent is like that. Do I like this? Do I not like this? Why? Mm -hmm. And do I want this to be a part of my life? And then you can incorporate it. The last piece, which is really important, is when you're grieving, people step back or or leave. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And a good part of them is misunderstandings. Um, When someone would ask me something like, how are you? I didn't mean to make you cry. Things like this. I could burst into tears or get angry. And sometimes people would leave Mm -hmm. or step back because they were, they didn't want to get it wrong. And they just left, Mm -hmm. just left. They were doing the best they could. They were maybe hurt that they got it wrong, Mm -hmm. but there's no guidelines here because nobody talks about it. Mm -hmm. That's why I thought it was important to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the last piece is, is rebuilding your networks. Now, the thing to recognize, and this is where reinvent and rebuild go together, Mm -hmm. is that the you who you are now may not be the you who you were. Mm -hmm. So there may be resources and people that you need in your life now that you didn't before. Right. If you're married, you don't need people to go out for a social evening with necessarily. Mm -hmm. You just don't, Mm -hmm. but that changes. If you become a widow, you might want a wing person. Right. I remember shortly after my husband died, I went to see some friends play music Mm -hmm. at a little club. And this guy is chatting me up and he's complaining about his Mm ex-wife and how terrible she is. And I'm standing there and thinking, at what point do I tell him and how fast does the conversation die after that mm. so going out with the wing person is really important mm-hmm. figuring out who you need in your life 
when you're no longer that person. And, you know, there are people who step up who you never expected to be there for you. And there are people who vanish, who you thought for sure, if this kind of thing came down, they would absolutely be there for you. Mm -hmm. But they're not. Yeah. Um, There were times as I was grieving that I was not graceful. Mm -hmm. There's not a good way to do this. Yeah. The thing that was most essential was um, communication. Mm. communication the hardest thing I did was to open up to love again Mm. because it felt like such a betrayal of my husband yeah and my head knew he was dead my heart didn't my body didn't Mm. and so In the pushing out my world, expanding my life, one of the biggest places and hardest, the last thing I did, the hardest thing I did was to prepare myself to open up to love Mm. because there were so many feelings of grief and feelings that I was betraying him Mm -hmm. that went with it. When I felt a spark of desire, I would have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. So I decided I would get on an online dating app and start Mm -hmm. because I thought this is a way to screen people. I don't have to meet someone until I know for sure that it's good Mm -hmm. or as good as I can get it. Right. And the, one of the biggest things is reinvent. I could figure out who I was and what I liked. Mm-hmm. So I wrote my profile to describe myself as clearly as I could. Mm-hmm. I honestly didn't care about anyone else. Yeah. I wanted someone who wanted to choose me mm. as I was. And I was a mess. <coughs> a mess. The last time I had dated was when I met my husband, which was 1992, and it was 2018. Mm-hmm. It's a big difference. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine. I feel like, uh, you know, I talk to my friends now, and I've been married, or I've been with my husband for about six years, and I talk to him now, and I'm like, what? Like, you know, like blown away by dating. So, I mean, yeah, the reality is it's it's a huge difference with how much society changes and dating changes and interactions and everything. Wild West, Mm -hmm. Wild West. But the idea was, okay, let me figure out what I like. Okay, this person is snarky, but in a mean way. No, I don't want to go out with someone like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, this one's kind. I like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I began to create distinctions of what I liked and who I was. Mm -hmm. And I changed my profile to describe myself even more clearly based on the results I was getting. Mm. By the time I went out and met anyone, I only went out with good, kind men. Mm -hmm. But my screening process was ferocious. Yeah. Was ferocious because I really needed to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And I also needed to not meet a whole lot of people. Right. I couldn't do the typical thing. Mm -hmm. 
to this day, and it's over five years, I do not have the energy for people that I did before my husband died. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are areas in which I'm still regaining my confidence. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, I met a guy, hot mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was so crazy, so volatile. There was one time where um, I called him up and I had a lot of dates right after my husband died. So he mm-hmm. died September 10th or what would have been our 20th wedding anniversary was October 5th, mm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New, you know, right? his birthday, mm-hmm. all before the end of the year. So I called up this guy and I said, you know, you might want to not see me until January. Mm-hmm. Then I'll be through all of this and I'll be a little less crazy and it'll be a more pleasant experience for you. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, took a breath and things were going well and said, okay, I'll, honor your wishes. And then two days later, my cousin um, had a a movie premiere at Mm -hmm. MoMA. I was going with my mom and I called him up to invite him to meet my mom and go to my cousin's movie. And he said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that crazy. Yeah. That, That crazy. And if kisses caused panic attacks mm-hmm. because I was accustomed to my husband's kisses, right. his arm around my waist. So everything else felt wrong. Mm-hmm. And in a world where we think that desire and connection is about chemistry, I couldn't trust my own chemistry. Mm-hmm. Long story short, we've been together for over three years. It's amazing. Yep. But it was communication. Right. It was, if I had a reaction that was bizarre, Mm -hmm. so I desired to be kissed, he desired to kiss me, and I freaked out. Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself, was it me, was it him, or was it us? Mm -hmm. Then I knew what to do next. Right. And I had to communicate clearly. Yeah. I want to touch on that. I think what you're saying is, is really important that you're questioning, you know, is this something happening, my reaction to my own things, or is this something because of the other person? And I think that that distinction alone is really, really important to make. Um, It just, you know, I'm thinking about as you're talking, we all, like you said, we've all experienced grief in different ways. And, you know, I think about when you say, you know, you were used to that connection and those kisses. I look at, you know, my past relationships before, and I was in a really unhealthy, abusive relationship. And even though it's extremely different, you know, some of the things that happened in that relationship to, you know, ending that relationship, doing the work and then meeting my husband. Some of my reactions were really bizarre. And I had to do the kind Mm -hmm. of the same process because I was grieving some of the almost safety that I didn't get to feel. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to touch on that piece of this happens in, you know, so many different ways. Allison's story is unique. My story is unique. Your story is unique for our listeners, but what she's talking about doing is applying and applicable in kind of all these different 
journeys that you're processing grief, whatever that may be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in my experience, going through these kind of four steps can get anyone through. Mm -hmm. So reconnect to yourself, re-engage with the world, expand your own boundaries as a choice, Mm -hmm. reinvent yourself and rebuild your networks. Those are what are necessary to come through and to Mm -hmm. come through whole. I'm not saying you'll come through as who you were. So be very clear about that. Right. Because mostly we don't. Right. Every experience changes us. And the thing that's so important about grief is that it's heartbreaking. It's also heart opening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes it can shake you back to the path you were meant to be on Mm -hmm. that maybe you've gone off of in some way. Right. Change Um, is, is really scary. And, you know, it makes me always think of kind of a quote of, um, People do not change until the change of staying the same is more than the change uh, or the, now I'm butchering it. Okay. So people do not change unless the comfort, discomfort of staying the same becomes more intense than the discomfort of changing. And that is so true when we're talking about this, because sometimes grief is often not a choice. Like it's not a choice that we make. It's not something that we're prepared to go through. But like Allison touched on earlier, every single person has gone through grief in some way. So taking it, like you said, I just, when I, when I think about you talking about creating this um, dating profile, how you looked at that and how you talked about that of like, I got kind of this like goosebumps of what an amazing process to be able to go on a dating site and just be figuring out yourself and what, mm-hmm. how you describe yourself now and what you're willing to move forward and what you want to complement your life now. That's a beautiful process, even though it is from something that we may not truly desire. Right. Right. I didn't need, I didn't, I didn't need them to be a certain height, mm-hmm. certain eye color. Right. Certain hair, certain bank account. Mm-hmm. Basically, I threw all of those out because all of those were going to be comparative. Mm. Yeah. You know, I trusted that um, the person who wanted me would be the right person for me right. and was. Mm-hmm. And was. Um, the thing to remember, and this was a really hard lesson, is that joy and grief rise at the same time. Mm. And we have this idea that joy is only joy if it's by itself. Mm -hmm. I'm just experiencing joy, except if you're grieving, it never comes by itself. Right. Because there's the joy of that moment, and then there's the grief of what might have been Mm -hmm. together. It doesn't make it any less joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful kind of place to end. I could keep talking to you about this conversation. And I think, like I said, it's so incredibly needed. And I am so appreciative of you sharing, you know, your personal journey and your story with grief um, and the loss of your husband and also 
the beautiful rebuilding process that you have taken and are helping, um, you know, clients take. It's it's something that, like you said, there's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes you need a specific one and you need a coach to really help you hold your hand through that process because there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, like Allison touched on multiple times, grief is not always going to be a graceful and beautiful process. It is messy and it is figuring out a new identity and loss of roles, but it's also that beautiful rebuilding process. So um, Allison, thank you so much for coming on. I am so grateful to have had you. You are very welcome, Caitlin. Um, And then also for all of our listeners, you guys are amazing. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. You will be able to find Allison and her book um, in the episode notes. I'm going to put all the links for her there. So make sure you reach out and continue to use her as a resource. Um, And then as always too, please subscribe, rate, and review. We want to know, you know, what you thought, any questions, concerns, or even things that you'd like to hear in future podcast episodes. Have a beautiful rest of your day, guys. And I'll see you next time on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Bye, guys. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.